right, they closed the doors. You all want to get going? John? I'm done. We're all wrong. You Googled games. What is the first result for games? Addictinggames.com. Oh. <laughs> Guys. Did you just do a panel on Flash games? I did a Flash game panel earlier today. Yeah, I'm the former uh, developer relations person for Addicting Games, so it means a lot to me. Rad. So I'm sorry for all the time you've wasted on the website that I used to... <laughs> We're sorry for all the times you Google games into Google and just click the first results. Wait, was it, is Addicting Games really the first yeah, thing that Yeah, I'm feeling up? lucky. What? Oh, someone paid for that. Of course they did. <laughs> um, oh, hi, welcome. Welcome to uh, a panel called, what's the panel called again, John? Making, Making your, your game. game. Making your game. Thank you. I was, I was added last minute. <laughs> We had a moderator, uh, unfortunately, unable to come. So Yes. Uh, so John went, uh, hey, do you want to moderate this panel? I'm like, what's it about? And he says, I don't know. Uh, and then I'm like, who's on it? And he's like, here's a list. I was like, I know literally all of these people, so let's go. Um, so I'm Dylan Alvento. I'm the co-founder of War Games. I'm going to be moderating this panel. Um, start at the far end. Chris Wolf is here. Chris wouldn't give me a title, so give me a title now. What do you... I do uh, video games. Uh, uh, publishing. Great. Okay, awesome. Uh, next up, Anya Combs from Kickstarter. Hi, it's me. I'm Anya Combs from Kickstarter. <laughs> she had a long walk because, like, the lounge is right next door. Yeah, but let's be fair. This is my ninth panel oh my in two days, and I have two more over the next two days. They put me on 11 panels this year. Set them up, knock them down. I did. <laughs> Killed them all. Uh, we have John Ritter over here representing all of Tabletop, uh, co-owner of Layways Games. You might know them as the creators of Dragoon. Yep. How you doing, John? It's a game. It's, it is a game. This is my first panel, so I am 10% of your fresh. that Anya is. <laughs> uh, then last but not least, Becca Saltzman, CEO of Finji. Yep. CEO and co-founder of Finji. So I am, yeah, I make video games and I publish video games. Um, cool. This is my third panel. Yeah. 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 I didn't die from my last one, so. Yeah. A couple of us just came off the show floor, and so we're, gotta wake up, gotta wake up. Um, so, we're gonna be talking about, so despite the fact that the panel's called Making Your Game, <laughs> we're gonna be mostly talking about publishing games and, and, and that end of things. Obviously, that includes sure, the, the, sure. the development and creation of stuff, but, uh, um, I'm, I kind of want to go down the road because because everyone here kind of does something different. Obvi obviously, Anya deals with crowdfunding. Uh, Becca and Chris kind of deal with with publishing. Um, John, I'm not exactly sure if publishing how that intercedes with with your stuff with tabletop. It does. Okay. Well, we'll get to that. Um, so, kind of the first thing I want to kind of kick off with is kind of when someone's approaching you for your specific role, mm -hmm. like whether it's the crowdfunding or the publishing, mm -hmm. um, like what, what's, what is, what is your perfect, what's the perfect pitch look like? If, if everything was going completely according to plan, like no, no additions, no edits to whatever they had to whether like, Hey, I'm going to kickstart a game or Hey, mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to pitch a game to be published by Finji. What would you want from them? We're going to start with Chris down there. Um, good question, actually. Um, oh God, I, I wish you wouldn't have taken me first. Um, for us, most importantly, it's at this point the team. Uh, we we're a really small publisher. Like right now, we're talking three projects simultaneously at best, and 15 people on staff. So we like to focus on folks that we know we can work with for a long period of time, like early on into production, into like years post release. So a very, very much being on the same 
um, w wavelength? Is that a word in English? Yeah, yeah, yeah. cool. A wavelength and... Uh, I mean, you said it in English, so I would hope so. Fair point, fair point. Um, and, and figuring out that uh, folks sort of have a similar approach to making games, but also aren't overlapping too much, just so you can kind of bounce off ideas off of each other. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you, Anya, what are you looking for? Yeah, so for Kickstarter, it's a little bit different than like a traditional publishing route, obviously. And I think one of the things to keep in mind with Kickstarter is that you absolutely need to have gameplay. You need to have 30 seconds of gameplay that you can show before you come to Kickstarter. Um, I would also say just like, it's... It's a really interesting space because I like while we're not publishers, where I personally like my little side project that I kind of work on with creators is like connecting publishers with creators sometimes, um, especially if video game uh, creators are like, oh, I really would like to work with a publisher. Like, let's say that your ideal publisher is like Finji or something, right? Like, I'm always happy to reach out to Finji, Devolver, uh, Armor Games, like whoever it is, and just sort of recommend people. Um, so it's not necessarily like I don't touch publishing like i would say that i have a soft touch into publishing sure but you like you have you have that a foot in that door mm -hmm. you have the connections like oh i know person x y or z thing yeah yeah and i think that's just that's also just like the games industry right like we're all we all kind of know each other but but for people to come to kickstarter if they are sort of looking like if i have this successful kickstarter maybe it means that i can get a publisher like having 30 seconds of gameplay that's as close to the final project as possible is is absolutely imperative so you said and also I want to make sure like people can chime in whenever they want with if other people are answering the questions um, you mentioned 30 seconds mm -hmm. that sounds very short mm -hmm. it is okay <laughs> <laughs> that is very that, that short. seems interesting like I mean like vertical slices usually don't sound not sound, 30 seconds you don't think so no okay uh, vertical slice is a fully do you know what that means yeah. most people shouldn't know what that means okay raise your hand if you do games. know what what vertical slice means okay, okay this is good great yeah. let's well. same page i'm in, it's important with terminology because also when i yell first party second party third party people are like, what the heck are you talking about um vertical slice is so when you're going to pitch your project especially with a video game it means that you have a fully polished section of your game that kind of goes through all the mechanics um i need to be able to play your game i need to know what it's going to look like and i do not care Often about lore, I don't care about all the bad guys. I just want to see some of them. I want to know what you're going to be doing with the game and what the art direction is going to look like. Um, and this, this is very different depending on what genre you're in. Strategy is very different from like Night in the Woods, a narrative adventure game. Narrative adventure game, I want like a full scene start to finish. A strategy game, oftentimes you can have boxes moving around on screen with numbers on them, and I know that's a vertical slice, and you also have some art. Because systems design is very different from narrative design. And I could go on to this forever. Um, I do actually have several GDC talks about pitching and stuff like this. So you can email me directly, and I will point you to them. And that's, that's I'm coming from the tabletop world out of curiosity. Who's interested in tabletop publishing? Raising Whoa. Cool. Very cool, 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 cool. We care, I mean, I personally care very little about the way a game looks. Um, we haven't, like, from Lay Waste, we have an artist on, on, on our team, and he's an owner, and he kind of skins everything for us. Um, so the, the polish and the look for us, like boxes with numbers, awesome. Yeah, like, same that's thing great. strategy. Yeah. yeah, it's awesome, because then we can, we can, in our mind, put ourselves on the game. Um, whereas if someone comes in with a bunch of polished art and stuff like that, it's a little bit more difficult, because not only do we, is it harder for us to think about it, but we know that it might be a little bit harder to work with the creator because they might be attached to the art in some way. Right. So going back to Anya, so so the 30 seconds, like we were saying, is not a vertical slice, but... It's not a vertical slice, correct. Right. It's not a vertical slice. 
Is it a vertical slice? No. Um, it's to get your foot in the door. Right. 30 seconds in video games, we use that as a trailer. Mm-hmm. I need that as a quick pitch because that's like your first look. Um, a vertical slice is past the first look. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause, cause now but I'm in order thinking, to make your 30 seconds, you need a vertical slice. Because now I'm thinking about like the Night in the Woods Kickstarter trailer yeah. or like the Chicory. Yeah, the game trailer. didn't exist though for Night in the Woods. That's right. because Scott was an animator. Right. He could just make it and they just made the game look like the video. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I would say just like Night in the Woods, the, the year that that came out, like Kickstarter has, has sort of grown since then a bit. So like the expectations that come on to Kickstarter are a little bit more. So Chicory, I think, is a great example where it's like this is essentially what the game is going to look like. But that 30 seconds of like uh, gameplay footage, essentially, or like your sizzle reel, if you want to call it that, yeah. um, the thing to keep in mind is that you can take all of those assets and put them on the Kickstarter page. So those are like the images that you put on the page. The additional content that you might have, so let's say that you have like a 20-minute video of something that's playable, you want to put that, more importantly, in sort of your updates or like leave that content to kind of roll out consistently. The, the page is really just sort of like, hey, this is kind of what I'm thinking of making. Do you want to be a part of this with me? Cool. Is there anything else that you... that like bare minimum you're expecting? Oh, so many things, Dylan. Okay. <laughs> so many. We don't have time to go over all of that. Fair enough. I'll throw it over to John then. John, what are you looking for when what's the perfect what's the perfect pitch when it comes to tabletop? Uh we so I, I also don't speak for the entire industry, but I can speak to the the pub, or the designers that I've worked with that really kind of inspire me to work with other designers. So like when we get pitches that are uh quick, uh you know 30 seconds of talking, and then we can delve into it more. Um, that's awesome. So we can hear these flavors of like, this is the type of game, these are the types of mechanics, and then we can say, sure. A lot of uh, designers come up to us with like 10 ideas. So it's important for us to like, within you know, 10 minutes, go through those 10 ideas and then be like, all right, let's revisit those three and talk a little bit more about them, or those two and talk a little bit more about them. Um, I mean, we, we signed one game after hearing about it for 30 seconds. It's called Heads Will Roll. It's a little dexterity flicking game. And our, our, guy, our buddy Matt walked up to us and was like, hey, I took some of your pieces and made a game. And we were like, okay. And he just showed us and we're like, yeah, okay, sounds good. Yeah. So like, if, it, if it's good and it connects, that's awesome. And you don't need to take much time to do that. Like, It's, it's all about getting that flavor quickly. Cool. Becca, what are, what are you looking for? Like, I feel like the, the the pitching to publishers in video games has almost been boiled down to a science. Mm. It's like mm. screenshots, the best screenshot to send, the best gift to send, you know, best you know, mm. two sentence description. Sort of. There's sort of there's industry standard for sure that we're all looking for, but every publisher sort of has a personality and a different type of game. Like, a Finji game is very different from a Devolver game, for example. And Devolver are very good friends of ours. And if we have a game come in to Finji that's definitely a Devolver game, we like make those introductions. Um, but for Finji specifically, we're a very low volume publisher because a lot of people don't understand because we're also an independent developer. Like my studio makes games, and then we also publish games, um, in the independent titles specifically. So if a person comes up to me and wants to pitch to me, oftentimes I'm look like, I do one game a year, sometimes one of those games is my game, so it's probably not the best fit. But if it was, it would be somebody who, one, understood that game design is a process, uh, understands that they're probably going to break the thing that they're making, and the thing that they think is done is not. And if there's any kind of pushback on that, like after we do play something, like the vertical slice or the game, um, my husband Adam Saltzman will send back an email. <laughs> um, and none of those, that game design feedback is stuff they actually have to address or even 
change things about it. But if their response is, nah, man, it's perfect, uh, bad fit. Because your game's not perfect. Guaranteed, there's a flaw in it. No game design is perfect. Mm -hmm. And to not be able to engage with design in a way that makes you question the assumptions that you made while you put it together, like that means it's going to be a bad fit working with me and Adam because we question everything. Um, we want things to be the most version. We call it like we're working on Tunic right now with Andrew Schuldice. We want it to be the most tunic version, the most chicory version, the most overlandy version. These are all different games. It's not the most bingy version, the most, the most Adam and Becca version. No, no, no. What is the game we're making and how do we push that design as far into that corner as we can make it? Because we're not making Zelda like a fox running through a forest with, like, we're not making something else. We're making tunic. Um, and that we interrogate all designs that we work on and all games that we work on in that lens. So, can I, can I jump in really oh, quick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so it sounds like. Like each publisher is so different, right? Mm -hmm. And they I think, all and, have different personalities. Yeah, and it's and like some publishers are just kind of like whatever, it's fine. Like here's some money, mm -hmm. make the game. But it sounds like you're really looking for more of a collaborative sort of relationship. We than definitely else. are because we are game developers. Like I can put your the code on our computer and work on your. I mean, I can't. I'm not a programmer, but my team can, and we do collaborate. Like we did work on Night in the Woods. Like Demon Tower and Night in the Woods was programmed and designed by Adam. Um, Andrew and Adam have weekly design meetings about Tunic. When it comes down to Chicory, what do they need? A lot of biz dev help and also these other pieces. If we take it to consoles, getting it out on console. Mm -hmm. Like we fill in because we can do all of this stuff. It means that we often do have our hands in making things. Not that we're changing, we're offering assistance. I have an art director. You need some 3D work? I got one on staff. What do you need done in your design? Heather Penn could do it. Um, but yeah, that's just like part of what we offer is we're a game design studio that wants to help you finish up your game. But sort of. That sounds like we're like a weird outsourcing, but we're not because we're also making our own thing. Right. Um, so you kind of you mentioned feedback and then making the thing the most it can be. And I kind of want to bring it back over here. I want to ask Chris. Right, first off, Chris, can we clarify like which, which studios, which publishers you're, you're, you're helping <laughs> out with? Because I know we were goofing about it earlier. Yeah. Um, so we, we used to be called those awesome guys, which for obvious reasons were kind of rebranding just because it's our, our pitch of the, that company name is you're 14 years old and you're trying to come up with your first email address. It's not a great idea. At some point, you move on from that. So we're going with Soft Surf Games. That's okay. the name of the you know, that clarifies so much because I was talking to someone earlier and they said, oh, do you, who's publishing Floppy Nights? And I was like, soft serve. He's like, I thought it was those awesome guys. And then we argued about that for about five minutes and then, yes, then we walked probably, away from each other. It's uh, officially not announced yet. I'm just talking about it and have business cards with soft serve. So okay, that's great. Kind of the backstory. Awesome. It's officially published by those awesome guys. Is, is that it? No. Oh, oh. God. Long story. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we won't Oops. get into that. Okay. <laughs> John, maybe just stop. Yeah. There, there it is. That's a logo. That's a great logo. Uh, can, can we get a zoom in discussions. on the logo? Uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, Chris, when when you're <laughs> <Very nice. laughs> perfect, I do table. Can I get a hat wobble on the logo? Um, so, Chris, when you're when you're getting pitches and you're and you're trying to provide, I mean, I assume everyone here provides feedback. Obviously, whether or not you ultimately the 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 game ultimately like goes forward and you continue conversations, whether it's crowdfunding or publishing or whatever, and you're, you're giving feedback, or like you said, Becca, you want to make the game like the most it, it can. Be. You want to make Tunic the most Tunicky it it can mm -hmm. be. Like, 
Chris, what do you do? You share that kind of same philosophy with that, or definitely, yeah. I mean, as mentioned, we're a small development team, uh, development slash publishing team. Started off as a developers ourselves, and kind of slowly merged into publishing, and now doing both both things. And uh, especially my boss Nick, he has a very strong attachment to game design, so he's mostly um, the person that I defer to when it comes to concrete game design. Just he has way more experience on that field, and we try to bounce of ideas off of uh, each other, usually like between both development and publishing, uh, but it's very clearly defined that at the end of the day, it's the developer's team. So their IP, their decisions at the end of the day, we just try to find in it, like in, in advance when scouting the right teams that we know will listen to us, no matter if they then in the end go with that decision or not. Okay. So... I mean, I feel like whenever you're giving feedback or whenever you're talking about a project, like the the, the topic of scope, inevitably comes up. Mm -hmm. um, is is everyone here familiar with with scope? I mean, raise your hand if you're familiar with the term scope. Hey, okay. um, thanks for asking if people are familiar with terms. I think that we do we don't do that enough in this industry. There's a lot of internal jargon that you just you either got at some point for some weird reason or you didn't, and like it, it can be difficult. But for those that don't know, scope is basically like the scope of a game kind of determines like how large the game is, the gameplay length, like w amount of, of gameplay features, all of these things that can lead to like obviously development time. So like if your game is hugely scoped and you're a one person development team, that's that can be a problem unless you're I okay. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> Being overscoped. <laughs> I don't know what it's like having a hugely scoped game made by one person. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Just, 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 just find Andrew Soldice and ask him about yeah, tuning. If you want to talk about that, come, come to my booth. Andrew Soldice <laughs> is here at the show. I'll come back to you, Becca, about that. But so, like, so the question is, how do you determine that a game is overscoped? Like, where, where, where's the point of no return where it's like, oh, this is too much. This is too much. I mean, I think it's partially, like, ascertaining, like, the, the, the developers, right? And then also, like, the, the type of project. But, Chris, what do you, what do you, what do you, what's your thoughts on that? It sort of depends. Like, either uh, are you talking during development or prior to signing with the team? I think, like, yeah, like, on introductions, like, I have this, like, maybe they have a vertical slice, maybe they have something smaller, but they're like, this is my plan, this is my roadmap, or here's my design document mm -hmm. for, like, what I, what I want it to be. And then you look at it and you're like, oh. That's that's a lot. Most of the teams I would say that we talk to, just because we talk to most, like a lot of teams that are rather new to the industry, over scope in general. Right. Like, when I look at a pitch deck, I just guesstimate that it'll be over scoped okay. out, out of principle, unless they have a established background in independent development. Because even if you have like a long history of AAA development, I believe that sometimes scope can be a thing that's hard to balance when you're doing your own thing. Right. Especially if you're not like, you know, you don't have production experience, right? Because mm -hmm. like producers, that's when they step in and like help create timetables and all that stuff. So like you might be a great developer and always hit your mark in terms of like estimating how long things will take. But like now you're on your own and inevitably that stuff will... will Very good point. Like especially if you don't have a dedicated, or not necessarily a dedicated producer, but a person whose job is to take care of the scope and manage expectations within the company, that's also a very good indicator. Good point. Right. We're talking a lot about, you know, the publishing stuff and like you as a developer, you have a game idea, you are creating something, you want to create something. But like there's plenty of business development roles and responsibilities that are just as important like we I think we all have colleagues that like do do those roles and do them very well I mean I'm basically one of those people in a way right yeah like I don't I don't make games I've never made a game 12 years in game almost 12 years in games I've never made a game but 
like I don't I don't think that means that I'm any less valuable than of course anyone else, you know. Uh, I would say just in terms of scope for Kickstarter, that's where a lot of delays end up happening is people just kind of look at the scope and they're like, I can do all of this stuff. And maybe they don't have a producer and maybe they don't have like a project manager. They have a community manager. So many of these other just like imperative roles to really kind of build a team. So when you hear about these Kickstarters that are like, oh, it took three years, it took four years, it took seven years, whatever it is, it's because the scope ends up being, or a lot of times it's because the scope is so big and they don't, it's hard to, it's hard to reel yourself back in when you're trying to have the business hat and the creative hat. Right. What's, yeah. uh, just a quick question. What's your take on stretch goals, uh, stretch goals that like add more content over time and those being added like during the campaign? So first of all, you should never launch your project with visible stretch goals. Don't do that because it takes away from the actual campaign. Your campaign should be the core of the game. Stretch goals should only, from my perspective, and there's, di there's people that have different opinions on this. So two things. One, stretch goals are not required. You don't have to have stretch goals on your project. That's a misconception that people have. Okay, hold on. Let me just check. Does everyone right. know what stretch goal is? Show of hands, stretch goals, stretch goals. Okay, awesome. mostly familiar if with Kickstarter. Not, yeah, stretch goals are essentially additional content that you could potentially add to your game. Um, it, that's, you know, an additional level. Maybe it's like a higher quality card stock on your cards if it's like a tabletop game, something like they that. they come with higher monetary requirements. Yeah, like so if funding. it's like 50K, then for 60K, we'll make an additional level and things like that. I have a lot I of opinions on that. Oh, so I, as a, I, I do too. I have a, <laughs> as a game designer, yeah. if there's something there that's a stretch goal... Why is it not in your game? Yeah. So we like, really. And I feel this way about a lot of game. Like, if to, like, don't put it there. Make it DLC. Mm -hmm. Like, make the game you set out to make. But also, Night in the Woods had a stretch goal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a game inside a game. They didn't accurately define it. And it's literally a nine-level dungeon crawler, pixel art dungeon crawler, smashed in the middle of Night in the Woods. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. <laughs> it's a bad idea, and it took forever to make. Uh -huh. We had to test it in a different way. It had a different control scheme. Just bad idea. It's very cool, but dumb. Don't do that. <laughs> so, like, really think through, like, I'm going to add an extra level. Cool. Mm -hmm. Do you know how big a level is? Yeah. Do you know what kind of mechanics you have to come up with that? What if they don't work? Also, like, if I agree, gonna, Anya, no stretch goals. Yeah, also, like, if you think you're going to add a level for 10K, that's the cutest no, thing I've ever no. heard. Yeah. I'm like, so that's adorable. I actually wanted to, to jump in on that. Yeah. Like, how, people, like, like, how do you equate, like, the, the monetary amount with, like, what the extra feature is? And it seems like it's Well, the thing is, the, the way that a lot of, I'm sorry, John, I didn't mean to interrupt. It's exciting no, math. Wondering. He just said math, so. Oh, math, oh, well, that's not a real thing. Um, so... <laughs> So the thing Art student, folks. Yeah, I went to music school. I don't know numbers. It's fine. Just play tones, and I can sing them back to you. Uh, <laughs> so the thing with the, the a lot of the time, a lot of the ways that stretch goals are used is more of like a marketing thing, mm -hmm. which like I also am not a huge fan of. So a lot of times, what we'll see is like for additional amount of money, maybe we can go to Switch, and I'm like, well, you kind of should kind of <laughs> don't do that. that. And also like, have you had that conversation with Nintendo, or like, oh, we're gonna do an Xbox version? Have you had that conversation oh, with yeah. Microsoft? Like, do you know yeah. how much it costs to get a dev kit plus porting? I do. Plus, yes. Yeah. It's a lot of money. Please talk to Becky. <laughs> yeah. One, you're one thing at I... 30 grand minimum just to get that port done, and that's mm -hmm. if you're lucky. Mm -hmm. And you have to have a relationship to even get that yep. equipment. Good luck. I love it. Make some introductions. Let me know. But also, like, it's you can't just make a console port. Mm. can't just afford it. 
You can't just test it. You can't just do that. Please don't make promises like that because your people, your audience is just going to be mean because you can't just do it. Mm -hmm. Don't lock yourself into that corner that you think you have to promise that. It's a really scary industry and it may not exist by the time you launch. I want to give John an uh, opportunity. No, let's not. I'm just kidding. Well, you heard her. <laughs> um, I was just going to speak on uh, stretch goals a little bit and tabletop. I would love to hear about this on tabletop, especially. Yeah. yeah. So one thing I've noticed a lot is uh, I don't know what to call it, like sh- stretch goal creep or something like that, where people launch their campaigns with, uh, "Hey, in 48 hours we're going to do this. If we get, let's just say, if we get a thousand backers in 48 hours, we're going to do X." Oh, God. And then at 48 hours they go in 72 hours. Or they just don't sit, tell anyone and they just change the number to 72. And they go, 72 hours. And then they get 925 back. And they go, yeah, we're just going to do it anyway. And I go, okay, was it really a thing though? Or were you just doing that to like, like have legitimate stretch goals, please. Like if you're going to do a Kickstarter mm-hmm. campaign, please have a stretch goal that means something. Uh, we, we just launched a stretch goal or a, a campaign for uh, an expansion for Dragoon. We purposely have a section that says complete at launch. No stretch goals, no Kickstarter exclusives. We don't care. If you want the game, get it. If you don't want it, that's fine. Don't buy it. But we're not going to like entice you with things that, in reality, we didn't really want to leave out of the game anyway. Like We have like metal volcanoes. We didn't want to leave those out, so we're going to put them in the game. We wanted to make the best game possible. So we're putting our best foot forward rather than leaving content out and potentially making like a half-baked thing, which I think you were... Mm-hmm. Like make the thing that you want to make, and I think that's the most important thing. If there are things that you really want to do, like put gold foil on your box, and you know the number, and you do the math, and you figure out that, and you go, "Hey, we can put gold foil on our box if we hit this." Awesome. But if you think you can afford it, and you do the math, and you can afford it, then just do it. I think people appreciate that, and you're going to be coming out the gate with the best possible thing. At least with board games, that's the way it is, mm-hmm. and I'm sure with well, digital, it's similar. I like that. Do the math. Because um, Mm -hmm. I'm often horrified when I see numbers for Kickstarters for video games. And like, sure, you want to raise $60,000 and I can, I don't know, work with a team of five for 32 seconds. I don't know what you can make with five people with $60,000 unless maybe you got four roommates, no kids, you live in the Midwest you don't have school loans and you still eat ramen every day. Like you have to be realistic about money. And I say this not partly as a grown up, but partly because I've seen this bite so many friends for years now um, that they didn't one take into account how expensive a Kickstarter actually is mm-hmm. at the end of it. Like I just got bit by all the shipping cause I did my math wrong or I didn't do the math, but also like what if you lose time cause something works did you, build, did you build in a buffer on your budget? Um, did you actually think through, like, my school loans are going to start in six months, and that's going to bump my budget up by whatever school costs now? Um, it's a lot. I know. I'm old. Uh, <laughs> I've seen my friends who are just, like, five years behind me, and I'm just like, thank God I'm slightly old. Um, but, like... Like video games especially, and board games I'm sure are very expensive, but video games are crazy, crazy expensive um, to make. And uh, sweat labor is not a cool way to live. 
Um, that doesn't turn into cash at the end. That if, does that, do you know what sweat labor is? It's doing things for free. Yeah. Um, and that's like a pretty crazy thing to ask somebody. That's a hobby. That's not um, making a product. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not a job. That is that is literally the definition of a hobby is doing things for free that you enjoy. Um, so like when I see Kickstarters, I always hope that either A, you're doing contract work on the side, B, you have other funding coming in, three, you use this as an audience building thing, because otherwise there is no way you can possibly make that game for that amount of money. Yeah. Even Night in the Woods, which was, I don't know, 200,000 or something? Something like that, yeah. 230, that. that did not fund them for the entirety of development. I had to go and find a lot of additional funding. A lot of additional funding. Yeah. Um, even that additional funding did not make him to the end. Finji paid for the rest. A great way if you want to see this just like in your own life, like if you're, if you're working like a full-time job or something, like, you know, regular office job or something, like go to your HR and ask like, how much does it cost me? Because I've gotten this at my job, where it's like mm-hmm. how much it actually costs the company to pay me? Because it's not just my salary. It's also the health insurance. Mm-hmm. It's all the stuff. It could be up to double what they're actually paying you for you to just exist within mm-hmm. whatever system they have. It's a really useful number to actually like how much can I afford and like what should my goal actually be? And if I can't hit that goal because you're going to do the number and laugh, you're going to do that. You will. You'll do the math and be like, that's impossible. Uh, how else can you do it? how many hours a day could you do this and pay yourself for those hours that you are able to work? Um, that's a safe way to sort of kind of make, if you can't quit your job and do this, a safer way to sort of move into this space. So if, if I could just say something really quickly. Yeah, so I think, um, I I'm hesitant to like turn this into a Kickstarter panel. Yeah, it's kind of going that, that way. Yeah. Sorry, I apologize. Driving away. So just two things. One, um, to quickly put a bow on the Kickstarter stuff. Uh, it A lot of teams do disclose that like the, the 50K or whatever they're asking for is to finish their game, but it's a lot of people just don't read that to the bottom. But like that is kind of the intent or it's an audience growing tool or something like that, right? Like it's not just a funding platform. That's kind of the, the, the general intent, but there's a lot of other ways to use Kickstarter. Um, and two, which has completely slipped my brain because I've been on so many panels that they're kind of all the same at this point. So come back to me, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I totally uh, forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> I mean, bouncing off of that just real quick, like I always liked how the Skullgirls team did mm-hmm. theirs because they had like a nice pie chart. It's like, all right, X amount is going to go towards uh, yeah. the marketing. X amount is going to go towards the music production. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. I'm, gl- I'm yeah. great. Okay. Just so, all time. That's yeah. Great. So just uh, when it comes to like making your game and you're looking at pub- a publisher or a Kickstarter, I think the other thing to really keep in mind is that neither one of those is going to like be the thing that saves you or like fixes all your problems, right? So like, I got a publisher, yay! That doesn't mean that suddenly all this money is going to come in or like you have to do less work. And I think that's a misconception that tends to happen sometimes in or, games. Or alternatively, like your time management skills aren't going to get any right. better or something. Like if yeah. you still are, you know, having problems like as a dev, mm-hmm. those problems don't go away. I mean, they could be alleviated a little bit, I assume, because like publisher, like some publishers are good about mm-hmm. like making sure they can aid you in, in, in those fields. But uh, yeah. 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 You got to hustle. Like designers that I know in tabletop are constantly hustling. They have 15, 20 games under their belt. Not that they public, that they're they're ready to pitch. And they go into these meetings and they go, "Hey, I, like I, I know a, a designer that went to Toy Fair and had three pages all front and back of all games that they were pitching." And they would go into to meetings and just 
run through them all quickly and then go on to the next one and go on. It's, I mean, it's a hustle. So, so they would say them all to the same, to the same publisher? No, they, they knew which ones to like okay. hit with which okay. publishers. Um, but it, it was, it's a hustle. That's yeah. a crazy setup. I can't yeah. imagine doing that as a game designer. And it's just text, and he, and he has a, a, a bag of all the games. And if someone's like, oh, I'm interested in that, he just takes it out and goes, all right, you want to take a look at it? And then runs it through real quick That's in like crazy. 30 seconds. And then if they're into it more, he'll let them keep it. And then they'll keep it. They'll play it at, 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 you know, back in their office. And then if they like it, great. And if they don't, they'll give it back to them. And then they'll take it on to the next person. It's so. really interesting. Like In contrast, like video game designers often have that. Yep. Um, and there are like weird, gross programmer art prototypes. So Adam has like a whole file, um, some broken, some not broken, um, of things that he's designed. He spent like, you know, 15 hours or 10 hours or two hours, and he just like built the bare minimum prototype of it and just sits in a file somewhere. And as we design stuff, a lot of those prototypes actually get pulled out and they get turned into mechanics in larger games. But we could never especially now, it used to be possible in like Flash games, like Cannibal Day sort of thing, that started out as a very simple prototype. But now it's like taking all of these little pieces, yep. but we can't just, if you show up with one, we can't go anywhere with it. Well, that, that happens with Tabletop, where, yeah. where I know of another game that someone was working on, and someone came in with a, their own, like um, it was a, a combat resolution mechanic. And they said, oh, I... I, I don't want the game, but I want that combat resolution mechanic. Can you help develop that mm -hmm. into this game? And they just grabbed that piece and yeah, integrated that's cool. it. Yeah. I didn't realize it was. Yeah, that's interesting. Just as like a. Like sorry, my brain's like. So this is how. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, this is this is the connection to like our two very they're very similar industries, but vastly different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like as far as like how things are created. Like, yeah, actually, we have no code that we speak. <laughs> like we can just take a combat resolution mechanic and plug it into a game. Whereas you're like, oh, that I assume is written in. Py I don't know. Python. And nope. we use Java. <laughs> I don't know. No. Okay, this is coming from the guy who calls video games digital games. Yeah. And I was like, I don't call card games analog games. Who here calls tabletop games analog games sometimes? Raise their hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't. One person. I got yeah, one. See? I got one. There's at least two, 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 three, four. Yeah, but all of you are wrong. Anybody who raised your hand, you're wrong. Like, I got four and you're all my friends How much now. did he pay you? <laughs> who calls video games digital games? You can come to my booth tomorrow and get I plushies for free. I have actually used that before. No. <laughs> but, but like, depending on the economy, I actually, and who I'm talking fair. to, it's I totally do have fair. to say, because well, if so you if just throw down games, you have to say, no, no, no. Like Monopoly. A digital game. Yeah. John just won't say video games. That's why it's so digital. funny to me. Digital. Well, I mean, you found out and made me mad. Now you're just you're sticking yeah. to your guns. Oh, I, yes. <laughs> All right. So, so we're kind of talking about things that are like, there's an assumption here that you're confident enough to be like showing off your products. John. And, and what are you doing? God damn it. Watch your language. Sorry. Sorry, um, any children. All right. The math Google's fine. Uh, so, so there's an assumption here that like you're confident enough to like you know at least someone you can get somewhere and contact someone and reach out to them and start talking about your project. What if you have none of that? What, so let's start with who here has made any sort of prototype, any sort of game. Doesn't matter if it's complete. Doesn't matter how long it is. Okay, so a, a decent amount. Awesome. Okay, so like say they have something and they want to and they want to and they have no connections and no anything like. I have an, I have an idea. Yes. You're all here, which is amazing. So there are publishers. So tabletop side, there are publishers here. You can walk up to them and say, hey, like that's, we're open books. We'll talk to anybody. Like if, if we have time and our booth isn't crazy, we'll speak to you. And if you want to show us a game, come up to us at a show. Talk to us. Email us. 
Like we like hearing ideas. We like all that. There are unpub uh, networks in tabletop that you can get into and start pitching your game around. There are speed dating at certain conventions that you can like kind of pitch your game at. It's all fair game. So if you hear about it, do it. Don't feel, you know, you can be nervous, but like don't feel like there's like a gate that you have to, you're all welcome. So if you want to pitch games, come pitch games to us, 100%. But I think also take. I'm so sorry. Go well, I was just gonna say, even taking a little bit of a step back from from that too, though. Like you also want to build a network and a community of other fellow game designers. Mm -hmm. Like those are the people. Like you should essentially be prototyping and and playtesting your game with as many different types of people, like gender, ethnicity, able-bodied, not able-bodied, like as many different people as you possibly can. Um, but you also want to like playtest with other game designers because they're going to be able to give you feedback specifically about game design that like your mom's not going to be able to give you unless your mom's a game designer i don't know but like that's cool that's that's a cool mom let me actually add something because this actually came up in a conversation i had yesterday with somebody at some point and they're like but what if they steal my idea oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. like i get it i understand i have friends games who have been cloned i 100 percent get it you need to cultivate a community of people who understand what is their idea and what is not and that is possible to do. Um, sometimes you'll end up like, I know, I know multiple people who are like, yeah, so I was playing so-and-so's game, which is one of, it, and we had talked and they had played this one prototype of mine like a year ago and like halfway through it, I was just like, that's my prototype. But this person's really good and you know for a fact they didn't actually steal it. They just forgot where they saw it. And like, then you understand like this person is unable to separate their creative process. And that's fine, some people can't. But there are most, most people, most game designers absolutely can. Or they'll say, hey, remember that thing you made? Can I borrow that one piece? And then you end up in a credit. Mm -hmm. We're in a lot of special thanks. And the reason why, why Adam and I are in a lot of special thanks is because of this, because we fixed something. Like, oh yeah, we found this like derivative thing that you can do and we can just break your game which happened with threes, if you guys remember. 2048 is actually the broken version. It is 100% broken. You can mm -hmm. play it forever. You can feel really good about playing it because the original threes played like that, or 1048, whatever the first one was. And Adam pointed out, like, you could just do this forever and you can play forever. He's like, and Ash, uh, Volmer, and um, Greg were like, oh, no kidding. Um, and Adam just is in a special thanks. Adam didn't need that special thanks. He didn't need this particular thing. But like, that's a designer coming in and helping you fix your thing. Those people exist all over the industry. Um, and we use them every day. Uh, one thing I wanted to add to John's point about publishing, and that's very much focused more on the video game side or digital game side. No. Uh, sorry. <laughs> um, because I'm unfamiliar with how it works with tabletop, is when it comes to pitching, um, Obviously, there, there is the in-person pitch, which can come in quite handy if you're at the same convention, but obviously not everyone is as privileged to be traveling all the time and going to all these conventions, or maybe they don't want to, which is also perfectly fair. A lot of publishers these days, like we're a tiny publisher and we're dealing with hundreds of pitches each year. Every, every publisher is getting into that position these days where they're getting more and more pitches and they have to hire or they want to hire more people to deal with these pitches, to go through them, to give feedback maybe if possible, but at least respond to them. And a, um, 
a way of optimizing that for a lot of publishers has become their own forms, like forms on their websites, mm -hmm. clear instructions about what they expect in a pitch. A good examples are like Raw Fury, uh, Johan has a very good breakdown of what they expect in a pitch and what type of games they're looking for, at least like roughly, because it's always very hard to exactly pinpoint the type of game you're looking for. So if you go onto like the Raw Fury website, Tiny Build, or even something like IndieFund, they have some sort of guidelines of what you're looking for, and it makes it way easier for you to exactly submit what they're looking for, but also for them to filter through and send you a quick email response if it's not like GDC week or PAX. Maybe don't pitch during that week Please via don't. email. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like the in-person thing, I feel like, like I had a friend that came up to, uh, uh, I think, Nigel at GDC and just literally gave him his phone. Was like, Ni we're Nigel from where? From, what did I say? You just said Nigel, like we all Oh, Nigel, Nigel from Devolver, I'm okay. sorry. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> and just gave him uh, his phone. It's like, hey, I'm working on this game. Like, what do you think? And Nigel was like, normally I hate this. Normally mm -hmm. I hate just someone coming up mm -hmm. and doing the mm -hmm. cold pitch. Um, and I... It just it, I I understand the worry, the fear of like okay, like talking to someone, like the fear of rejection, the fear of like yeah, oh no, I'm bothering the them. The problem is not that it is because we literally have some place to be. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. It's because I am late, like I am running out of my booth because I have to go meet with this person to do this other thing. It's not because I don't want to hear it. It's because I literally have to go, and I am going to be as polite as possible. I actually did this to Andrew Schuldice at GDC. <laughs> like, he came up to us after a talk. And I was like, I don't have time for this. We are late for a meeting. And, it, like, that's a wild statement to say out loud right now. And he went back to a mutual friend, was like, yeah, they just kind of blew me off. And they're like, did you try to talk to them at GDC, of all places? Because yeah. they're running from meeting to meeting to meeting. Their schedule is Buck wild. Mm -hmm. He's like, send him an email. I guarantee you he will, like, the, the Saltzmans will respond to that. And Andrew reached back out afterwards. Hey, I'm really sorry. I know I caught you when you were really busy, but remember that little, like, I'm going to call it Dorito Fox. He didn't call it then, but it looked like a little Dorito Fox. <laughs> this little Dorito Fox combat arena thing. I wanted to know what you thought of it. And I know, you, like, you, like my, our, our mutual friend Wiley told you, or told me to reach back out. Because we just blew them off initially, and we have to. Like, even at the show floor, like, I tell my staff, I'm like, I'm not taking pitches mm -hmm. on the show floor, but please get their information. Let them send an email. When they send me an email, please say, hey, I talked to your staff at PAX. Because then I'm like, oh, hey, this is a person who stopped by my booth, and I completely could not talk to them. Because um, I'll read those before the cold emails. Mm -hmm. But like at an event, I am running from place to place to place. And I know it's the same thing for everybody else because we set up all of our meetings before we got here because we reached out on Twitter and said, Hey, I got some room in my schedule. And we booked it with whatever happened to come through. And if you, and even if you end up finding a person that's like sitting somewhere in a corner in that 30 minutes that they have a break, it's the worst timing to ever pitch someone. Like they're, <laughs> they're there working on their laptop or eating something because they don't have any other second that day to do that. So don't pitch them in that. I feel like we're reinforcing the fear. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Not, well, okay, so here's, because I want you to approach my booth. It's okay that, like, because if I say, hey, I have, I, I can't take this pitch right now, send me an email. And don't generic the email. Say, hey, Becca, we met at PAX. And you had to be somewhere, and I'm, that's cool but you told me to send you an email. And my staff is instructed to say the same thing. Like, 
if I get something generic, I'm like, I don't know who this person is. We have no connection. And it goes into, when I have time, go through these. But when I get that other email, I was like, I got to respond to this one. And it may take me a while because I got to wade through seven billion emails because <laughs> I've been at PAX all week, but I'll eventually get there. And it might be, I can't do anything with this, but let's meet up next time. Maybe you need help putting together your pitch deck. Maybe you need a mentor because Adam and I do a ton of mentorship in the industry. Like, it might be a different relationship, and it might honestly just be friendship. I didn't take on Andrew Schuldice's Dorito Fox Combat Arena in 2015. But I did mentor him with Adam for the next three years, two years, 2017, whenever we brought it on. It's 2017 or 2018. Uh, we did mentor him that whole time as unofficial independent developer mentors who cared about this kid from Halifax. He's not a kid either. He's almost my age. No, he's but a baby. Whatever. <laughs> like, everybody's a kid. But, like, that's the kind of relationship you're trying to develop. And not just with somebody like me, but, like, literally anyone in the industry who gives a crap about design and making things and making beautiful things. Yeah. So, uh, can I just add two quick things to that? Yeah. So, I think, I think just, like, taking a little... I feel like I always say this, but, like, taking a little bit of a step back. So, two things to keep in mind are, one... Anybody that you're pitching to, just remember that like we're all human and we all have 24 hours in a day, right? So like booking our schedules as crazy as they can be with all these meetings and things like that. Like if you do find someone that you're like, oh, I really want to pitch to them, but they're sitting down and they're taking 30, 30 minutes or even 30 seconds for themselves. Like, no, I don't think anybody in this industry is trying to be mean or dismissive or anything like that, but we are human and you don't know what's going on in our lives and we don't know what's going on in your lives, right? So just remember that there's a human element here. And the other side of that too is like we... I mean, I'm not like a stakeholder necessarily in terms of like publishing, but like we also want to give you our, we want to give you 100% of who we are. We want to make sure that like we're really listening to what it is that you have to say. So if you're catching us at a time where we have to go somewhere and even if you're like, oh, it's five minutes, it's five minutes. Number one, it's never five minutes. <laughs> yeah, have you ever talked for five minutes? It's actually very short. Yeah, and number two, like we do want to give you our undivided attention because you deserve to have our undivided your attention Your project too. does. Yeah. Like I don't want to be dismissive about your project. I think games are awesome. I publish games. I bring games to... Mm -hmm. This is our industry. Yeah. And like in that moment, the worst thing that I want to do is like make you think that your game's not great because it probably is great and there's a lot of you inside of it and like there's space for it. Every Like in our industry, there's space. Yeah. Uh, do we want to take some Q&A? Just I'm see sure what, I don't see know what time it is. It, we have 15 minutes. Oh, cool. Um, let's do some Q&A. There's a, there's a microphone right there. Um, Oh, I actually yeah. had yeah. known that. That's what the call was, right? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah I was like, no, I knew. Yeah. Fuck. Anya, give me something that I don't. Do we want to do? Do we want to? Do we? So we just found. Yeah. Out, so we. With, no, it's fine. Sure, it's on. The, it's on Twitter. We just found out that GDC got postponed, so we're all GD just kind of distracted. GDC's been canceled. What? I got postponed. No, it did. It's full on canceled. Yeah. Yeah. It's full on canceled. It got postponed. Like IGN is canceled. Wow. That's how they report it. All right, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, we can, we can all look at our phones in 15 we can minutes. We all change. 
We can oh, all start camping our hotels in flight. I'm losing my mind yeah, right a now. Little bit. We can all freak out about the mind. fact that we didn't get travel insurance. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, so, yeah. So, I'm going to see how, like, the first two go, and then I'm unfortunately probably going to have to Need count alcohol. off and ask the rest <laughs> that we can't ask you questions. You ask them afterwards if oh, uh, the panelists have time. I do have some time before dinner. Yes. Okay. I wish they'd wait until Hi. So, uh, I did a, uh, recently did a successful uh, Kickstarter for a tabletop game. We did about 200 units or so, and um, my okay. question was uh, mostly to John, but to the whole panel, how do we kind of take that towards starting to talk to publishers to do sort of larger runs, further distribution? I can't market anything. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so you're, you're self-publishing. Yeah, you uh, self-publishing through a print-on-demand service, basically. Cool, cool, folks, cool. do you mind keeping it down so we can we can? Yeah, so basically, short answer is you can take that and you can bring it around to publishers and show it to them. Uh, I know lots of people who have grabbed games off Kickstarters okay. and really put some force behind them. Sometimes they put new art on them. Sometimes right, yeah. they dev them a little bit, but you know, you get your game with somebody. It's all about your goals. Like, if your goal is to do what you just did, mm -hmm. then you're done. Okay. But if your goal is to, hey, I want to be a designer and I want someone to crank out 100,000 units in my game and I want it to be in Target and all these, then go talk to publishers and see if you know there's interest there and see, ask them what they're interested in if your game falls into that like category. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. so would you recommend talking to specific publishers that are sort of genre-ish? Yeah, I mean, just it depends on where you think your game might fit. Like, you're okay. the designer and you might be like, hey, this is really like a whatever type game for like whoever. Like, gotcha. if you think it falls into a category that someone might vibe with, like, Go talk to them, for sure. Okay. Yeah, just walk up to them and say, hey, I made this game. The, the tabletop industry, I have to say, is like one of the friendliest industries. It's really Hi. incredible. Hi. Well, except for John. Hi, hello. It's the Hi. tabletop industry Hi. up on this panel. <laughs> <laughs> These uh, analog games. Analog games? Yeah. yeah analog oh, my games God. Wow. <laughs> Cool. Thank you. Also, right, thank um, you if, if you don't mind me saying, if I never ask questions in a forum like this, I, I, it scares me. My social anxiety gets to a 10. Uh, we'll probably hang out for a little bit after if you're not comfortable asking a question in this space. Or you can tweet at us. Yeah, you can tweet at us. That's totally fine. <laughs> like, are you just zooming in on Chris's? <laughs> <laughs> tweet at Chris. Hey. Ooh. All right. Sorry. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Uh, my question Regards, uh, well, can, you, can you come up a little bit closer? If yeah. there's a there's a yellow rectangle on the floor, please be fully within the yellow rectangle. Is this better? That's good. All right. Uh, clearly, there's a lot of aspirational uh, game designers and developers here. Uh, how do we make a pitch, whether for publishing or Kickstarter, that is going to stand out from the crowd positively? Ooh. Um. So I have several things because I'm you're coming from sort of an indie dev side of things. Yes. Um. So, I have, I, have a, I have a talk, it's on the GDC, it's on YouTube, and it's from last year, about an hour long, and it's, you're ready to p pitch to a publisher, you're not, it's a very clickbaity thing, but it's also just sort of like stepping through like a standard pitch deck, a standard pitch deck that Finji would make to take to anybody, or how I help mentor people through it. But some of the main things, especially if you're pitching, is don't say my game is, um, don't use games that are much better than yours to describe it. Um, because you're just going, your game is not going to be as good as Dark Souls, and it is not going to be as beautiful as this thing that is. Come up with a better way, like with words that are real. Um, so, yeah. That's that's the first one, and that's a, a very very common mistake. And every time I hear it, I'm just like, "But now I want to play those games, um, and I don't want to play yours because it can't possibly be as good as these classics." Um, but then, other than that, a big thing um, that all publishers say is a distinctive art style. 
Um, and it doesn't mean that you have to like reinvent the wheel, but understand that your art style is the other half of your game. Mm. So even if it is like low poly or nuovo or whatever you've chosen, um, lean hard into it, especially in the indie space. Your screenshot is half your marketing. Your video is half your marketing. And if you look at that and you're like, that could be any number of something and you're not sure what that is, uh, because it could be any number of these games in the genre, that is definitely a problem in the indie space. Um, and then also be very realistic about your budget. Um, people are like, but so-and-so's giving out $10 million. Yeah, but you're not getting it. I'm not getting it. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's getting it. You just heard somebody got it. We're probably going to get the normal money <laughs> if we're lucky. Um, so like be very, very realistic about your budget. If you want to go full-time indie, make sure you have contract work. If you don't know how to get contract work, let's talk about that in a different, let's have drinks. Cause I could go on forever about freelancing. So like, like kind of fill in all of these blanks, but also do all the research. There's several talks. There's several resources out there about what a good pitch deck looks like, what a good vertical slice looks like, about how long that is. Um, and one of them is my talk which is just fun and me sort of being sarcastic, but full of useful information and how things transition through development. The GDC vault is your friend. Yeah, yeah. but that one's not on the vault. That one's on YouTube, so it's accessible to people oh, right. who aren't I, on the vault. Always, always mix those. And just real quick with tabletop, a high production value, really nice art go a long way because a lot of people make cheap games that don't have nice art. That's it. One thing I would like to add is not only uh, when not only the right expectations about uh, budgets, but also about your sales estimates. Like one mm. thing I very often see, and I've, I'm a very I'm very German. I'm very pessimistic in general. Wait, you're German? Yeah. You're right. not pessimistic. What are you talking about? You're not pessimistic. Wait, Wait, are you way. asking for sales estimates? Sorry? Are you asking them to give you sales estimates? Because I no. always, I don't want anyone outside of me to try to tell me what a sales estimate would be. Ideally, I, I fully agree. But for me, at least most people do, which is a big problem. Like, at least they try to target. Uh, oh, they, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so basically, like, so you're telling them not to. Under, no, yeah. Not to or to be realistic, again, to yeah. kind of reemphasize what Becca was yes. saying. Yeah. So, so if you have like a $100,000 budget, understand how many copies that you need to sell of that. Right. So that way you can justify. So if you do the math and you're like, I have to sell 100,000 copies of my indie game, understand that's a handful of indie games. Yeah. And if you're comparing yourself on, on like a, in your pitch deck to Pokemon... Slate Aspire and uh, another game that's had that has like 20 games in its IP, that's already a big red flag. Like have some solid titles on there as well to kind of put the expectations into perspective. Match the genre to the budget. Yeah. Thank you. you. Thanks. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say we can probably do three more. So first three people and then everyone else. (laughs) Unfortunately, we probably won't have time, like Uh, I said. I'm just going to quick fire two. Uh, John, when writing tabletop games, is it better to, uh, like, write, like, for the initial design, is it better to write things meaningfully so you understand when you come back, or is Mm -hmm. it better to just put words on a page so you have something at the very least? Are you talking about rules? Yeah, like rules or just designing the game itself. Uh, I mean, you don't have to have the entire game designed. Like, a lot of games get devved. Like, if it's not fully flushed out, like, I, I know people have gotten games signed on, like, literally four sentences. Or on okay. a GIF. 
Yeah. Yes. Are you familiar with Sable? Anyone familiar with that that mm-hmm. game? Or published? Animal. Well, both. I'm, okay. it, yeah. Like, yeah, it's yeah. just one of those things. That I don't works. know. If, I don't know any tabletop games that have been signed on a GIF. Uh, yes. <laughs> <But okay. laughs> a video of people playing it. Yeah. But no, like uh, Sable got published. Or got the deal with Raw Fury off a of GIF because Callum said I got a GIF and game looked really good. And oh yeah, but that's. I mean, to be fair, like that's such a special case because it's also Callum sure. getting drunk on Twitter and saying <laughs> send me stuff. And like, yeah. I, uh, saying things about our friends. We love him. Callum's oh, one of the best people that is alive. But I'm just saying. All right, real quick, uh-huh. second quick fire. Um, Miss, I don't know your Anya. name. So I'm, it's like Tanya without the T. Okay, uh, Anya. Um, what are what are you said? You talked about 30 seconds of gameplay. Mm-hmm. What are like the tabletop requirements for yeah. Kickstarter? You still need to have at least. Uh, you need to be able to show gameplay. But uh, unlike video games, where video games you need to have gifs, gifs not gifs. I will die on that hill. Mm-hmm. Um, Give you some peanut butter. <laughs> uh, you need to you need to at least have one big image that shows exactly what it is the game is. Every component. So if that's a board game with minis and cards, have all of that. Just one big image. If it's if it's a card game, show what the outside box looks like along with a couple of cards. Right, Do you have anything we- to add, John? Um, come, I see you taking notes. Come talk to me after. Okay. Cool. cool. Right. Thank you. Cool. Hi. So, would there be pressure from a publisher to finish a game if we come to them with something that's 30% complete, like well-polished, has music and whatnot? And if so, should we approach them later on in the development process? Yes. Yes. To- um, for sure, because you're building relationships. So you might... The, I always like it when people come back and are like, hey, so we talked whenever... Pick a time. I usually remember a face and just tell me the year and the place it was. And, you know, we only had this much done, but we've come this much farther in development, and I would love for you to check it out again. If only to give us feedback, because you already gave us some feedback. Um, I don't know if other publishers who aren't designers are into that sort of thing, but we definitely are. Um, Partly because between that first thing that you gave us or showed us, and that second thing, the industry has 100% shifted completely under our feet. Like, when I give talks, we timestamp them, and we're like, this talk's going to be out of date tomorrow. And we're only half kidding when we do that in the industry. Um, So between your 30% and your 60%, the entire market may have completely shifted. The funding market may have shifted. The types of games that are going to be cool in two years may have shifted, um, which happens about that fast. And it could be that your 30 to 60% took you three years. And in that case, the whole industry is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Can I talk to you afterwards about budgets? Is that cool? Mm-hmm. Hello. Uh, I have a di- uh, game design question for you. Um, I'm a software developer, but I don't have a software development uh, game design degree. I have a regular CS degree. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you would suggest in terms of shortcuts I can take when uh, iterating over something like gameplay or something. Uh, like, so when people design cars, there's some shapes that are like aesthetically pleasing, mm-hmm. so you don't make like a car that's shaped like a rhombus or a carrot or something like that. Is there something that I can read or look up on or podcasts I can listen to or YouTube videos that would help me sort of shortcut some of these uh, iteration processes, which will probably have a lot of trial and error in it? Could I field this one? Yeah, to start absolutely. With? Yeah, uh, I since have, I do have I'd a CS have to degree, punted to Adam. Yeah, so. <laughs> so I do have a CS degree, um, and so like uh, kind of in the same scenario as that. Uh, wherever you're based, there's probably a local scene or maybe a regional scene of game developers. So the best thing you can really do is kind of just cut your teeth against 
other devs. Like, make something, take it to something, and then cringe as they play it uh, because you don't have that much experience. Some people recommend, like, the academic road. I mean, a lot of people recommend Jesse Shell's books, Book of Lenses, as, like, a very very big game design book. Um, I haven't read it personally, but I know a lot of colleagues that have read it and really like it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's mostly like, it's it, this, it's one of those things, like you have you have the CS skills, right? You have the programming yeah. skills, like learning C Sharp for Unity or, or the, 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 the uh, I'm blanking on the other, the, whatever engine, the, whatever their, their programming language needs, that's not the challenge for you, right? The challenge for is, is it's a uh, rapid does, prototyping. Does yeah. this feel good? Wait, how can how can I get something up and running and, and mm. doing that? And the best it's, way to do it is to get it up and running. Get it up and running and surround yourself from people mm. that are doing that. Because if you see someone else doing it, that's going to inspire you or make you say, "I want to do that." Let's 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 do it. Or do game jams. Game jams are great. If you're not familiar with the game jam, usually a weekend you try to make a game in, in said weekend. Those are really good for starters. If you want to make a full game. It's really easy to be stuck in the the game jam well. Mm-hmm. I actually do have something. So we talk to a lot of uh, early designers, um, and one of the things we always encourage people to do who are starting out trying to do game design and they're trying to learn game feel. That's what we call when things like Super Meat Boy has great game feel. It's like very mm-hmm. sticky because Tommy's great at it. Um, find easy games. Um, from like the 80s and 90s, like very, very simple, simple games and rebuild them yourself. Yep. Because the code is simple enough, you can probably do it in a day or two and see if you can make the game feel better. Um, and that's honestly just messing around with numbers at that point. Um, but like, re, like, I remember Adam redoing Space Invaders. Like he did it like three times in his 20s and he's like, I'm gonna try to do it this time in this way and see how fast I can do it in rapid prototyping, how can, I, how can I put this together? How can I build it in Flash now? How can I do this? Um, it's really easy because the game design already works. Yep. And now you're just messing around with numbers and the feel. So we are at time. Yep. Um, so uh, if you have any other questions, we can talk to you afterwards. I will say I did record this, this panel. Um, I, have a, I have a podcast feed about indie games. I can put it up on there if you want to follow me or just talk, grab me as I'm walking out the door. Um, uh, it's called Wordcast. It's really cool. You should definitely check it out. Yeah, I, I mean, spelling it right now is probably going to be difficult. So the best, I'm, I'll just tweet immediately. Like, here's here's the link to the thing. So if you follow that, I can I can get it to you. But uh, if you ever want to reference this again in the six months that it's still relevant, <laughs> you can have it then. Nice. Thanks, Dylan. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.